Ann Arbor has been a second home for me for probably about 14 or 15 years now. And Haji Sunan and Barbara Brodsky and Ora Glasser and I and Parang, we would meet uh, a consortium of, of teachers in different traditions and just share our own experience. And, and so, you know, I have deep friendships here. Um, it's been very uh, meaningful to come back again and again and see friends and share our journey together. So I'm, I feel glad to be here and just delighted with the warmth of the welcome. And I wanted to talk today about form and formlessness. It's topical for me right now. I don't know if it is for anybody else as we navigate these changing times and changing circumstance and watch what's happening with our, our government and our political situation in our world. And in many of my friends, their lives are going through tremendous change uh, personally in, on, in terms of what's happening with their health and in terms of relationships and in terms of their way of livelihood. And for my own self, you know, when I left England uh, two and a half years ago, I came to this country uh, with the faith and conviction that there was a, a path might emerge with the teachings and the training that I knew and the, the understanding that the, the highest embodiment of, of what I understand is, 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 the, is harmlessness and also bringing compassion into one's body and enacting it in relationship with others and in relationship with the world. And so it was on these um, basic principles that I came to this country and interested in what might emerge if I gave an opportunity to allow something to emerge through me. And this emergence continues in terms of what it looks like and what shape it takes and how it expresses itself. And so I wanted to reflect a little this evening, this afternoon on the whole relationship with form and formlessness and how these things connect. But I don't want this to just be a conceptual, abstract talk that, you know, is just a bunch of hot air. And so I'd like to ground it in something that we all know, which is our experience with our own body. Okay? So we are all sitting here. And, you know, we can all get some sense that we are sitting here. And we will know that, each of us will know that in a different way. Some of us will know that because we feel pressure. Some of that will know that because we see parts of our body taking shape. Some of us will know that kind of through a concept, the thought, I am sitting here. You know, some of us will know that because of feelings of, 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 of our, how we experience sitting. Okay? So form expresses itself in different ways, and we can know our form as sitting here through those different ways, okay? 
Now, a sitting posture is not the same as a standing posture or walking. It's not the same as lying down. They're different. And each of these different postures has a different expression that we can know. Yeah. But form has within it a lot of space. And so if we just take a time and we allow our attention to tune into the space inside of our nostrils or inside our mouth or can tune into the cavities in our stomach, okay? We get a feeling of space even that exists within the form, right? Now, I love coming here and seeing the different kinds of, of, of ways that the form takes shape. So after sitting still, it is um, delightful for me to see different kinds of stretching um, movement that people engage in as a way of moving energy. So we know that our body is a shape and it exists in space, but it's also a way in which energy can move. And when we move our arms and we put together the movement and the breathing, we can feel the tightness, the tingling, the relaxation, the tension, and we can see how that shifts. So we can experience the feeling of form and the shape that it takes. We can experience that within the form is space, and the space can be experienced or described or articulated in terms of movement and energy and breath. And the movement, the energy, and the breath that we experience in our physical body can be a place where we can experience something which is very unformed, very formless. It's not defined by flesh and blood. It's defined by space and energy and movement and breath. And sometimes when you're outside in nature or when you're quiet with yourself or with another person, it's really very easy to feel how the boundaries that we normally separate ourselves with with the skin is very uh, transparent. And sometimes when you're sitting with another person, you can feel the presence of them. And sometimes, I don't know if it's ever happened to you, but you'll be sitting with another person and they'll be talking about something that's very moving for them and all of a sudden you're crying. It's as if there's no separation and the feelings that they have are moving through you as if they're your own feeling. Okay? It's their feeling, but you're feeling them as if it's your own feeling. Yeah? So the separation that we experience, this is a kind of... uh, translucent membrane and through this translucent membrane life flows yeah so we have a body and now my body is 50 years old and so it's getting older on a chronological level but when I let my attention rest in my body it doesn't have an age okay it doesn't exist in time it exists in the present moment It doesn't have a past. It doesn't have a history. It only exists in the present moment. It exists now. So I can experience what is arising now as a memory. Memory might be arising now. 
or I can experience aches and pains, they can be arising now, or I can experience the thought, I am 50, as a thought that arises now, and I can experience those things in my body. Yeah. So form takes shape in this world. But form has within it a lot of space. Space is the place for movement, for flow, for connectivity, for interaction. And space is the place where form emerges from. So what does this have to do with anything? (laughs) I come from a tradition that has uh, many, many hundreds of years, thousands of years of living in a particular form and style and way. And over these hundreds and thousands of years, there's been fluctuations of the way that it's been held and how it's been known and transmitted and taught, shared. And within the form that I come from, having a very close uh, affinity to nature, a simple lifestyle, having a clear adherence to the monastic guidelines and to a relationship of interdependence with the lay community have been fundamental structures of this life. And this life comes from Asia. And alongside the fundamental structures of this life are also things which have cultural overlays. And even within the monastic discipline itself, There are themes or threads which one may be able to look at from a Western context or a modern context or a feminist context and be able to see that there are elements of what we are living with in a contemporary circumstance that comes from a cultural context. Okay? And so I sit wearing robes, living with a tradition, being a Western person, being born in the United States from California, having gone through university, in the juxtaposition of all of these different forces and wanting to find a way where what I do and how I live and what I express myself both is has integrity to it, is authentic to what I know deeply to be true, and somehow is connected to and service of the highest good for myself, for the people that I have contact with, and for the earth that I walk on, walk with, and supported by. And so this question of form and formlessness is the essential mixture of what I sit with all of the time. What is the essence? How do I go back into essence of what this life is about? And when I touch essence, how does that give rise to expression in the world, right here and right now? Now, it might seem abstract, like it's not relevant to you in your own world, but I wonder if that really is the case with the amount of change that we are navigating, with the kind of situations that we're dealing with on a global scale, 
with a kind of decentralization of authority and power structures if this isn't relevant for everyone. The need to come back into fundamental relationship with what is essential, what is true, what is reliable, and touch that in form in our bodies and independent of form. And as we touch that independent of form, where we're no longer relying on the old structures to define how we are supposed to express ourselves or be or think or imagine or relate to ourselves and the world around us, how that can give rise to the possibility that something new emerges that's not disconnected from our body that's not disconnected from what we know to be true, what's of essential importance, that's not disconnected from what we love and what we value and from what we've come from, but relevant in the context that we're walking now. What does it look like? How do we spend our time? Where do we spend our energy? What do we support? What political systems make sense right now? How can we get people together to talk with each other who have a piece of the pie that may have an essential component into some of the stuff that needs to be attended to right now? Form gives the space to no emptiness, to realize emptiness, to allow for emptiness. Emptiness expresses itself in the form of our body, our relationship with ourselves, with each other, and in the world. If we take just a couple fundamental principles, like harmlessness as one, and compassion as another, The fact that we don't want to hurt ourselves and we don't want to hurt another and have that be fundamental in our lives. What difference does it make? How does it change things? How does it change the choices that we make? How does it change the actions that we take? So it's not an esoteric philosophy. It's about an interest to stop suffering and to have a little bit less suffering for others that we have contact with. What does that look like? Is it worth doing? Is it worth making commitment like that? The commitment to non-harm to me is directly connected to the commitment and the realization of the importance of compassion. When we come back into understanding that there's only a translucent membrane that separates you and me, then when I hurt you, I'm hurting an aspect of myself. If I am not able to stay in relationship with you in order so that both of our needs get met, one of us loses. And if one of us loses, both of us lose. So the commitment to harmlessness has a direct tie-in to the importance of compassion. 
And the ramifications are vast because the society that we're living in has a different value system. It's me, 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 and mine, and the people I love that matter to me, that matter to me, that matter to me. And yet when we understand the shallowness of that value system and the consequences of that value system, how everybody loses, then it gives support for being willing to do the legwork to begin to change. What does that look like? It's not just about me. And that if I stay in relationship with another to see that their needs are also being met, I win. So we have a shrine room here. And we have a shrine. And there's a form that we practice with. And in different temples, the form looks slightly different. And if you go to an international gathering of many different lineages, you have huge spectrums of how people practice And yet, what's in common between different styles of robes and practices and lineages, expressions? It seems that it has to be a distillation of a few fundamental truths. That we have these fundamental truths in common. And as human beings, I think one of the things that we all share in common is a deep-seated longing not to suffer. And that is not the exclusive domain of the Buddhists. That isn't even the exclusive domain of the humans. We have that in common with the animals. And you can even see plants have stress responses that try and mitigate stress and suffering that they can release themselves from it. It's something that we share in common with all life. We share that in common with all life, independent of whether we have the same political views. So for our own life, what's important? What kind of choices are important to make? What's important to safeguard and what's important to make sure that we are not transgressing? And how is it that an understanding of this fundamental truth ties in with the deepest form of non-suffering, which is completely awakening out of all traces of suffering, a liberation that is free from all conditioning. Laura Glasser and I did a retreat last weekend, and one of the things that was um, beautiful in what emerged was a way of bringing practices into the present moment that are deeply embodied, that we feel them in our bodies. And one of the things which I think is really helpful to understand is is in the transmigration of a context that came from Asia into North America or in the Western worlds, we have um, a bridge that's useful for us to know about and to cross. And it might be that in an Eastern context now, what we're seeing is more similar to what we're dealing with as people in a North American context. But in an Asian context, when I was looking at people in the Northeast or when I was watching 
they had a kind of level of embodiment that for us in a North American context is incredibly rare, just not at all common. And so when we take teachings from an Eastern context and we bring them into North America, we have to remember that we take with us something that they didn't have. We need to understand these things from our bodies, not just as a concept. And so when we talk about awakening, we need to know what awakening feels like in our body, not just as an idea. We need to let our body guide and show and illuminate for us what it is like to feel grounded and to live with integrity and to live with care and kindness and compassion. Because most of the time we live beside ourselves through no fault of our own as a product of the variety of forces that come together and the, and the intensity of what it is that we're navigating and the lack of connection that we feel with the earth. So when we're talking about the movement of emergent form, it's not only about an idea conceptually, how do we get from here to there, but how do we let our body lead us so that we know what feels right and is the right direction to move in. One of the monks was talking to me when I was in England about they had decided to do a renovation project in the house, in the main house. And being clever, they checked to see if the wall was a, a supporting wall. I'm not sure. There's a, when a wall is a supporting wall, I think there's a special name for it. I can't remember what it is. So they checked to see if there were supports on the top and the supports on the bottom. And there weren't supports on the top or the bottom. So they, they assumed that because there weren't supports on the top and there weren't supports on the bottom, it wasn't a supporting wall. They could take it apart. And so they started dismantling the wall. And then one person started screaming, get the agri-pops. The roof is caving in. Okay. So what they didn't know was in the English architecture, they have different ways of, of supporting a supporting wall, which is buttresses that go like this. So they checked up top and they checked on the bottom and there was a different support structure that carried the weight. Okay? So we're needing to find our supportive walls that allow us to navigate change without entering into chaos of what happens when there's not enough support to keep the roof up. And for me, one of the telling ways that I've been able to navigate is with my body, to learn how to be in my body and attend to my body and listen to my body that I know when what I'm doing is moving towards chaos or moving towards ease or moving towards connection or moving towards disassociation or moving towards compassion or cutting across compassion. And so as I sit with the kinds of questions that I have and the emergent forms as they are expressing themselves and the big questions that I hold, I let my body be a tool to show and to teach and to explain and to explore what way to go.
But it hasn't been possible for me to do that without also learning how to sit with the unknown. I don't know the answer. And so a lot of my practice in these last several years has been learning how to abide in uncertainty and not freak out. You know? Where you just, I don't know. I don't know the answer. I don't know the direction. I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know. And to feel relaxed in not knowing as a place of resting rather than as a place of chaos. And so that has been a tremendous support to be able to move into right relationship with form and allow that to then be the place where what emerges comes through and speaks through me. I'm thinking maybe to stop here now and change the format so that we can have a time for a discussion or questions or conversation around all of this. I don't... I hope... I hope you're not feeling... Um, Disoriented. I hope there's enough here that's grounding that you're not feeling it's too abstract. Maybe it'll come through more questions about, you know, real-life situations and how to navigate this. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.com dot org slash donate